Konnichiwa everyone. You're tuning into the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host Chris Desmond. Now for those of you that have tuned in for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that I have just been away. Now I'm back in New Zealand this week after a very cool trip to Hong Kong and Japan. Uh, just getting back into the swing of things again, uh, getting over the jet lag a little bit as well. While I was away, I got to meet some very cool people, see some pretty impressive things, uh, and had a few uncomfortable experiences myself, which I'll share with you a little bit more about next week. So in today's episode, though, I had the privilege of sitting down to a conversation with Irene Wakefield, co-founder of Prepare NZ. Through Prepare NZ, Irene is helping to tackle the issues that young people in New Zealand face about abusive relationships. She has a dream of making New Zealand a country that has no domestic violence. Now this may seem like a a big radical idea to some, however, as Irene points out, what society once perceived as radical is now regarded as normal. Irene's an intelligent, insightful, well-spoken, courageous young woman, and I think you'll definitely enjoy listening to her today, and after hearing her speak think that that goal that she's trying to achieve is very realistic. Today we talk relationships. Irene speaks about some of the drivers of abusive relationships in a New Zealand context. We chat about identifying abusive signals early and how people can often not be aware that they're in an unhealthy relationship until it gets to breaking point. Irene isn't just looking to stop abuse. She wants to teach young people how to have healthy relationships. And these healthy relationships start with the relationship that we have with ourselves. Irene shares with us her journey of self-discovery, which has led to an improved relationship that she has with herself. And she lets us know what she does to maintain the health of this relationship. Irene has an important voice on an important mission and is someone that you'll definitely be hearing a lot more from in this space in the future. Thanks everyone for taking the time to get uncomfortable with me and Irene today. okay podcast it's cool to sit down with you uh, today in your uh, in your living room <laughs> thank you um Irene can you let me and the listeners know a little bit about yourself sort of where you where you're from where you grew up yeah yeah sure so um I I grew up in Foxton actually and I've lived there for most of my life I came to Wellington <clears throat> about five years ago now um, and I really love it. I really enjoy this city. I just like the creative aspect of it, that there's always cool stuff to do and heaps of really cool creative people around as well. 
Yeah, yeah, Wellington is is fantastic like that, and I think we were we we're having a bit of a chat earlier about the amount of cool people around here that are just doing doing awesome things, and then if you start to jump into that, you just you can kind of go down a, a rabbit hole that every sort of every person you meet has has really cool ideas and uh, just cool. a story to tell, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, yeah. Um, so, what drew you to Wellington initially, other than the the creative side so I actually I got a job in Wellington when I was 17 years old so that's when I started in banking actually and I probably only hung out in Wellington for about four months so it was a huge change for me coming from Foxton to Wellington and figuring out how buses and trains and things <laughs> worked. Um, so I left because I got a job as a teller um, a lot closer to home, which was really, really good. And I was there for about five years. And I I guess as I got older and a bit more confident and more independent, I just knew that I wanted to come back and, and give it another crack. And So in 2012, I think it was, I finally did it. I moved here on my own and I've not left. (laughs) Cool. And you still work in banking at the moment? Yeah. Yep, I do. So I'm approaching my 10th year in banking at the moment. So um, I work as a store manager or a branch manager. And I look after a team of about 13 people at the moment. Cool. Exciting. That must uh, present a few challenges in itself. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's a whole lot of fun as well. I've got a pretty awesome team. Yeah, good, good, good. Um, today, we're not particularly here to talk about banking. Though. No. As exciting as it is, it's probably not super uncomfortable, uh, other than the teamwork side of things sometimes. Um, we're here to talk about uh, one of your other projects, Prepare. Can you... Give us uh, a bit of an outline about Prepare and sort of what uh, what that entails. And then maybe what we can do is have a little bit of a chat about how the idea for that started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so Prepare is an organisation um, that I started. And really the whole purpose of it is to educate young people around relationships Um, and that is number one the relationship you have with yourself and number two the relationship you have with others and within that work one of the key pieces of education if you like that we really want to offer is how to identify early signs of abuse in relationships Um, So I'm talking about mental and emotional abuse, the things that you can't necessarily physically see. Um, However, there are a few signs that people could be aware of to help them identify that. So I guess for me, I think about the issue in New Zealand that surrounds domestic violence. We're right up there globally. Um, And I look at that and I think, why would we not? better prepare young people for relationships to identify some of these earlier signs and give them an opportunity to be able to confidently walk away before things escalated towards violence. Mm, that's that's very cool and I think it's, yeah, it's such important work to be doing in New Zealand. Um, 
there are I mean there's a lot of stuff in there that you were that you were talking about maybe one that we can kind of start with is the the rates of domestic violence in in New Zealand um, obviously they're, they're really high on a, on a worldwide standard are there any reasons that you think that New Zealand has this has this issue with domestic violence it's something that I am looking into more and more nowadays just around researching why that might be but look I I grew up in a community where this sort of stuff was pretty normal um the violence or just the mental and emotional abuse piece and I think if I reflect on it now um insecurity is a big player um and that could be um, maybe unsure about how to communicate how I really feel about something so I choose to do that with violence instead or um, insecure around how I've managed my money this week so I choose to resolve that with violence or abuse instead and that's probably some of the stuff that um, I saw um, alcohol that's another factor, and through some of the research that I've done, those are certainly trends that have come up in conversation with others as well. Mm, yeah, and, and I think in New Zealand as well, um, for the for the majority, we're not great at communicating, and I know that I used to be real shit at it. Um, <laughs> it's something that's something that I. I'm trying to work on, uh, and hopefully my wife thinks that I'm getting better at it, because um, I'm definitely putting in more effort to it, um, and I think, yeah, as a, as a nation, that's one of the challenges that we have, is that we're, we're not great at, uh, at communicating, we tend to bottle, bottle things mm. up, but also, obviously, alcohol as well plays a, such a massive part in New Zealand society that... It's it, it is really a, a driver. Um, has there been much research done around causes for domestic violence in New Zealand? Do you know? Um, yeah, there's there's been a lot of work done, um, and as well as globally as well, and definitely that alcohol factor is is key. You also talked, Irene, about identifying the early signs of abuse and being able to give people the confidence to walk away from from the relationship at that point what are what are some of the early signs mm. of abuse mm. so there's things like uh jealousy uh controlling behaviors perhaps uh telling you what you can or can't wear um Controlling who you spend your time with. Uh, saying things like, if you don't do this, I will leave you. Um, th- those sorts of behaviours are mentally and, and emotionally abusive. And I guess for me, in my social circles when I was growing up, those behaviours were pretty normal um, and acceptable within our group. And we never 
would have identified those behaviours as abusive. Um, in fact, it just wasn't something that we were ever taught about, which is, again, why I want to do this work of prepare. Because I think, well, if you leave someone alone to deal with those behaviours from a partner um, and to accept those for a long period of time, that is going to slowly chip away at that person's confidence, their self-worth, and things begin to happen like you isolate yourself from others, your family and your friends, and you won't do the things that you actually really, really want to do. And I think if we could help people understand what these signs actually are and what they might look like in in day-to-day life, um, then by being able to identify that actually this is abusive behavior, this is not okay, this isn't cool, um, I'm worth more than that and stepping away before perhaps losing your sense of self-worth, you're going to be in a better position to avoid or prevent yourself from ending up in a potentially violent relationship that's the way that I look at it with those kind of um, those early identifiers and that controlling behavior do you think that stems from insecurity as well of people trying to control what they what they can mm, yeah absolutely I definitely think so um, and you know, I've, I've seen some of this stuff play out before where it's like, um, are you going to wear tights under that dress today? You know, I don't want other boys looking at you. That must stem from a space of insecurity, being uncomfortable that um, perhaps I might lose my partner to somebody else based on what they're wearing, you know? Yeah, interesting. Um Again, and I think that the identification of these behaviours plays a really, really important role. One of the challenges probably with once you have identified these behaviours, I would imagine, is actually having the confidence and having the strategy to walk away Mm. from that relationship as well, which is probably a whole different kettle of fish just to the identification stuff. Is, Is that... Uh, something you're going to be working with young people on as well? What we've found in our research is um, young people have told us they either talk to a friend um, or mum was the other person that came up quite a lot as well. And so what we're thinking at the moment is, well, rather than trying to come in as a stranger and have this conversation, because you have to get to quite a vulnerable level um, for someone to open up and want to talk about some of this stuff. Why don't we help to empower young people to identify this not only as a potential victim, but as a peer as well, um, and help to empower young people to have a have a conversation with their, their friend as well about it. Um, and obviously they can only do that to a certain extent, but I think if we could encourage young people to be more confident about having these conversations and naming the behaviours and, and talking from a place of um, worthiness and love, um, then that would probably be more influential than, say, me sitting down with a strange young person and trying to be influential when we don't have that relationship yet. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's cool. And I think, I mean, obviously the more you talk about this and the more you educate people, the more likely they are to, to go on and have these initial conversations mm. about this and say, hey, is this is this right or is this a little bit weird? Yeah, and I think it's really grey at the moment. So you could look at a relationship um, perhaps and think, there's something not quite right there or maybe maybe she shouldn't have spoken to him like that. But would we call it out as, as abuse? Would we mm. name that behaviour and say that it's not okay? I'm not confident that that really happens mm. and I want to change that. Yeah, yeah. And do you think the the people who are displaying these behaviours are aware of what they're doing? Or do you think partially it's it's some subconscious um, that they've learned? And potentially, I mean, they're going to continue to, to perpetrate that behaviour. But if someone called them on that behaviour and they were unaware that they were doing it, may that be kind of a spark for change that that person needs absolutely and yeah i i do believe that this happens and people don't realize what they're doing um and i know that from experience you know um so for me the the driver behind prepare is personal experience I dealt with this stuff for a long time and the difference between me and what I want to offer to young people is I didn't know that these behaviors were um, worthy of the label abusive until years after I'd left and that's not on to me you know something's gotta give there but at the same time The more I work on this whole concept of prepare, the more I realize that, yes, I needed the service of prepare, but so did he, you know? I actually think he needed it just as much as I did um, because we didn't have people around to call it out, to talk to us about it, to say, actually, you know what, the way you two are treating each other is not cool, it's not okay, um, and and I wonder what would what would life look like if someone did say that to us? Mm, yeah, it'd be. It's an interesting thought experiment to, mm. to go into with that, and I mean, I, I think in New Zealand as well, especially we're very good at not getting involved in other people's problems. So even yeah, if you if you think you see something that's a little bit off you're not always going to go forward and say to people hey are you all right this is a little bit this is a little bit weird you guys shouldn't be acting like this towards each other mm. um, so again I think that the education part is is really really important with that um, you mentioned a little bit before that your experience yourself, gave you was kind of a catalyst to to begin prepare are you happy to share what what happened to you yeah yeah um so I guess for me I if I strip it right back I was very young and I was 
looking for um, somebody to be in a relationship with. And I was probably looking for someone, now that I think about it, um, someone who was going to fill some gaps for me. And the best word to describe some of those gaps would be insecurities. Um, And so I found somebody who really filled... um, you know, tick the boxes that I had in my head that this perfect partner um, would represent. And I went in without any idea of what I wanted from this relationship. Um, I didn't take into consideration how being with this person might um, impact my values or my goals. I didn't consider whether our values aligned or anything like that um, because I just thought this was going to be wonderful. And, um, you know, we spent a good deal of time together. And I guess over time, um, I went from being a really confident, goals-orientated, career-driven, independent young woman. And very slowly, um, you know, some of those very early signs started to creep in. And I changed a lot changed a lot so I have a big family I've got seven brothers and sisters and my mum and dad and we're pretty tight but I didn't see them for a long long time because I isolated myself in order to try and keep somebody else happy um I I guess I just took this person's idea of um what a great partner would look like and I became her and over that period of time I lost who I really was Um, and I wasn't confident anymore because I accepted behaviours that I perhaps shouldn't have Um, and I became very lonely as well and my goals didn't mean anything anymore and um, my career didn't mean anything anymore and so I just became a very very different person Um, And it wasn't until I saw a friend of mine going through exactly the same situation that I realized that I really needed to set an example of what to do in a scenario like this because I knew that I was really unhappy. I would never have used a word like abusive. Um, In fact, I've only really recently come to terms with using a word like that to describe that relationship but anyway my friend was in a similar situation and the difference with her was she had a very very young baby and I guess I looked at her and I looked at her baby and I thought I'm I'm not really being a good role model to her I'm a few years older than her um, and I guess if anything is going to improve for her life and her baby's life I've got to set a good example um, of what you should do in a situation like this and so um, not long after that I just packed my packed my things into my car and I moved home to my parents house um, and just tried to start again and, and figure out who I was again. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing that that's a, that's a pretty powerful story when you were leaving, did you were you worried about leaving? About what would happen? Um, no, no, no. I didn't. Um, 
I didn't have any fear of, say, any repercussions of leaving. That wasn't a worry. I think what I was really scared of is um, being alone. I just, I just didn't really know what to do with my time. I was so used to trying to build this picture-perfect idea for somebody else that I didn't even know how to just sit on my own and have a drink and feel comfortable. It was very weird to stop. It was very weird to take time for myself. And so for me, I was more worried about how was I going to get through all this time that I'd suddenly been given without having anything to do, without having anyone to please anymore. Because it was a very strange and a very foreign experience for me I hadn't felt that for years yeah yeah I think obviously it sounds like you developed a, a new sense of identity being in this in, in this relationship and kind of changed who you were as a person and then all of a sudden you're no longer in this relationship with the pressures on mm. uh, that you had and all of a sudden your identity completely shifts again from being purely relationship focused to to not yeah yeah and having lost yourself along the way I mean suddenly having to just sit alone even in your bedroom and feel uncomfortable it's strange because you should be comfortable with yourself mm, but yeah. I wasn't yeah yeah and I think I mean if we're not comfortable with ourselves then we we can't really be comfortable with other people exactly. as well um with with that point as well, um, you were, you were talking earlier before we started recording about learning to know yourself and being comfortable with yourself, um, and how that is a really important part of the work that you're doing with prepare as well. Um, where where do you think that sits um, within a relationship? Mm. Do you think that is something that potentially needs to come first absolutely yeah look I think um there's a quote that I love and I can't remember who says it but um the quote goes along the lines of the relationship you have with yourself sets the tone for the relationships that you have with others and that couldn't be any more true right um how can I be a great peer or friend or partner or sister or daughter to you if I can't do that for myself because all you're going to get from me are the dribs and drabs that I have to offer but if I can spend that time investing in myself and that could look like um, just being alone um, reading books because I love that or writing poetry because I enjoy that going for a run the gym whatever it is that you like and um, it's taking the time to actually fit that stuff in because that's where you get your energy from and in a relationship you're constantly exchanging energy right um, and you have to be able to share the good stuff and I think if I think about my experience that I had I didn't have anything to give because I wasn't I wasn't doing anything for myself. Um, and so I became, um, you know, I, I, I became very unhealthy. 
Um, so when I think about prepare and what this looks like, I think young people need to be able to have an opportunity to explore and understand what, what is actually really valuable to me. What are my values? What is it that's important to me? Who is it that I spend my time around and I get real joy from doing that? What is it that I do when I feel at my best? And you probably need to explore a little bit of what is it that I do when I feel my worst as well? Because when you can start to explore that conversation and that concept and that idea, you'll start to build a little bit of a blueprint for yourself of who am I? Right? Who am I when I'm at my best? And how do I fit that stuff into my life? And I think if we can master that, if we can allow young people to have a foundation of that in their lives, then going into a relationship, I already know that I feel great when I go and walk in the bush and when I write poetry and when I draw a picture. And so I know within this relationship, I need the time to be able to do that if you're going to get the best of me. And I don't think people go into a relationship with the intention of not making this thing work, right? So I think you you have almost a compelling reason to do a bit of that work for yourself to begin with. And to look when you're exploring an idea of a potential partner at whether their values align with what I've identified for myself. Am I going to be able to achieve these goals that I have for myself with this person? Or maybe not. You can make an assessment. You can decide and make decisions that are healthy for yourself. So it's not all about abuse, right? It's about having healthy relationships. You've got to have a really good foundation for you to be able to achieve that. Mm, that's cool. I, I really like that. Um, and I think uh, there's, a, there's a saying that health isn't the absence of disease. Um, and to kind of cross it over to, to this instance, a healthy relationship isn't the absence of abuse. Mm. It's doing those things that make you feel good and doing your partner doing the things that make them feel good as well and then doing things together that make you both feel good as well how long did it take you after you came out of the relationship to arrive at this philosophy and kind of how did you work through the stuff that you needed to work through to to get to this um we talked a little bit earlier on about how travel will enable you to explore some things for yourself. And so when I left, I set myself two goals. Number one was um, I wanted to become a leader in the bank. And number two was I wanted to go on my first international trip. And I gave myself a 12-month a time period to achieve that took me I think it was about 15 months but I managed to achieve both of them and so I went on my first trip um, to Rarotonga um, and actually it was at the airport waiting to go to Rarotonga where I read about mental and emotional abuse so that was my first introduction to the whole idea that this thing existed when I was on the island I spent a week there on my own and that was just my way of trying to figure out a few things for myself and do something kind to myself. Um, and I guess I spent a whole week there processing this information that I had read. But 
I remember this one particular day and I was sitting on the beach on my own and I was just chilling out and looking around and um, a poem popped up in my head and I wrote it down. Um, I've actually lost it to this day and I wish I still had it, but it was a poem that came up kind of in the form of a letter um, to myself and it was describing some of the stuff that I had put up with and then kind of shifted into the space of who I was becoming by taking time to just be and to learn to love myself and I don't know how to explain it but it was like an epiphany for me um what was coming out of me in writing resonated so much with me that I really felt like I had found my purpose I had found what I needed to do um and I left I left that island knowing that one day I was going to to start something like prepare and I left that island understanding and realizing just how great how wonderful it is to invest in yourself and I know people can't exactly always just drop everything and go to an island but you can find spaces to go to in your everyday life and I just can't speak highly enough of how how good it is for you how the wonder that it can do for you yeah and I think taking that that quiet time to to think for yourself and I always find as well that sometimes I need to either have a conversation with someone or write something down my ideas are kind of fizzing around in my head like if you toss a barocca into a glass and they kind of go everywhere (laughs) I can't always make sense of them while they're in there but if I put them on paper or if I talk to someone about them often they'll they'll give me a lot more clarity which it sounds like is similar to what happened to to you while you were there as well Mm. um which is which is very cool so how long ago was the trip to Rarotonga 2013 okay cool so three three years ago now you live a reasonably full-on life (laughs) with prepare and with with work at the bank how do you structure your Irene time Mm. like the time that you uh, look after yourself and Mm. do the things that make you a better person I I guess I'm forever thinking ahead about when I'm going to fit that time and one thing I always do is every single weekend I will go and have a coffee by myself in a cafe and I will just take my notebook and my inky black pen and I will just chill out and people watch and write whatever it is that comes to me at that time. So that's something that is always there. Other ways that I do it is just going for a walk um, and fitting that into things like lunch breaks or just spaces that I have over the weekend. Um, and a couple of evenings as well during the week, I'll take some time out just to write or or read or whatever it is that I feel like and I never plan those ones ahead as much as I will so my coffee on the weekend that stuff just happens organically I'm looking for opportunities to fit that kind of thing in for myself 
And do you find now you're more aware of those opportune times? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I have to be because, like you said, I am a really busy person at the moment. Um, I found that it is harder as Prepare grows, um, trying to manage two ships and then have time for myself. Um, but I have made some decisions um, which will play out in the new year to try and free some of that time up. So um, I actually handed in my resignation at the bank a few weeks ago, so I'll finish up in a couple of weeks' time. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, pretty excited. Yeah, so you're taking Prepare full-time? Well, I haven't decided exactly how this is going to work yet. Um, what I'm doing is uh, taking the summer to figure out where to next for myself. And I know that I'm by working in the bank, um, I'm not giving myself the space to figure that out because I'm go, go, go. But I also know in my heart that the bank is not where I'm supposed to be. So um, Prepare will continue. I just haven't decided if I will do that full time or if that will be part time yet. Excellent. Um, I was going to ask you about your vision for Prepare, but it sounds like that the next couple of months are uh, going to be uh, pretty valuable in figuring out exactly what that what that is. One of the things that I'd love to see, and I. I shared Prepare with an audience of about 50 people a couple of weeks ago now. And I said to them, I would love to see New Zealand domestic violence free. And I know that sounds really, really crazy. Um, but the story that I shared with them, and I know it resonated with a lot of people because they came up and talked to me about it or emailed me about it, was... I um, I was at a festival a couple of months back and someone said this really awesome thing which was um, what what was once radical is now normal and it got me thinking about um, when the smoke-free campaigns first ever came out and I remember because I was living in Foxton and back then my parents were smokers and we had ashtrays in nearly every room of the house um, and my brothers and my sisters smoked as well and it was really normal and I thought how the hell are we going to change this in New Zealand? Like this is such an ingrained habit. I don't see it changing. Anyway, you fast forward to nowadays and I look around and I actually don't remember the last house that I went into that had an ashtray in it. My parents don't smoke. My brothers and sisters have quit. Um, and I know a lot of other people who are really on this wavelength of being healthy and being smoke-free as well. And I look at that and I think, well, that was a really radical thing for someone to say once upon a time. But now it's becoming really normal, right? And so I look at the statement that we make about making uh, New Zealand a domestic violence-free country, and I think, you know what? That's possible. Yeah, I think so. Um, but again, it's it's like you're saying, that it, it has to start somewhere, and it has to probably be an idea that people think, oh, no, nah, that's never going to... It's never going to happen to start mm. with, but it needs people like yourself to, to continue to to drive that. So thank you for being one of the people that are the drivers of that. It's very cool. Irene, I'm just going to ask you a few questions that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Cool. So the first one is, can you tell me about a time that you failed, in parentheses, and what you learned from it? Mm. 
Yeah, I can. I've got one that's I'm kind of working through at the moment, actually. So for me, I'm really good at setting the bar for myself really high. And that can be an awesome thing if you've seen me be successful. But sometimes I set it too high and I will not just walk away when it's it's too tough or it's not what I should be doing. Um, and so I actually have known in my heart for a long, long time that I needed to leave the bank because it just, uh, I really wasn't enjoying my role anymore and I knew that there were other things that I was feeling a lot more passionate about at the same time. And so I stupidly set this goal that I was going to win this award, which the bank does annually, and you have to work damn hard to be able to get it. And in my head, I thought, I can't leave unless I walk out with a bang and I make my mark on my career in banking. And so I had this great big goal and I'm trying to work myself into the ground to achieve this award, but then also manage prepare, which is something that I'm really passionate about. And I just got to a point where it was like, what am I doing? You know, I'm not even enjoying this. I need to just stop and and accept that it's cool you know I'm finishing I want to finish at the bank I want to go and do something that I'm really passionate about instead and so I guess where I I failed so to speak there was I didn't just listen to my heart and just do what I wanted to do I was kind of trying to do something that would look really cool to others instead and the lesson that I've learned now especially knowing that I've had a couple of weeks leave recently where I've been able to work a bit on prepare and knowing that I'm going to have the whole summer to do that like I couldn't feel any more alive and so the lesson for me is man I can't just go about this world trying to do things to for the benefit of others um just follow my heart even if it seems a little bit crazy to some cool that's a awesome answer what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it Mm. um i've been attending these things called why sessions um and it's really based around prepare so I'm, i'm doing a bit of a program at the moment to for the benefit of prepare and um What was really uncomfortable is that we had to speak quite openly about why we choose to do what we do. And um, I I had a very vulnerable conversation where I guess I let all the little skeletons out of a closet around why prepare and why have I decided to do this um, to people that I hardly even know. And that was really uncomfortable. I was shaking having the conversation but I knew that I needed to get it out of my system and the thing that helped me get through it was knowing that prepare is something that is so much bigger than me and I guess every time I have these conversations and I talk about stuff that I've experienced and what I want to offer others um I'm doing it for the benefit of other people and not myself and so remembering that think is what helped me to be vulnerable enough to share Mm. awesome Irene what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do 
I think it will be when I finish up at the bank. So right now it sounds really exciting and it feels really exciting, um, but I think it will be tough. It will be tough because I won't be answerable to anybody anymore, and I'm so used to that. It'll be tough because I'm not going to get paid anymore, <laughs> and I'm so used to that as well. And so I guess there's going to be a lot of experience that comes with that, and and that's uncomfortable. That that is uncomfortable. Mm. And I think with with that as well is that there's often another identity shift that's forced upon you as well, and that you've been working in the bank for 10 years too so your identities kind of become a bit wrapped up in that as well and then again it's it's not there so but I think that uh talking to you tonight that you're you know yourself well enough now that that isn't going to be a super hard transition for you mm, mm, I agree Irene I have couple more questions for you. Okay. One's easy, one's a little bit more challenging. Okay. Um, but f- <laughs> first, I want to just take the time to say thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for your time tonight, for sitting down and having a chat with me. It's It's been very cool to hear your story. Um, but I also want to say thank you to you for really being one of the, the forerunners for making New Zealand domestic violence free. Thank you. I think that's I think that's very cool. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm glad that you you've taken the opportunity to have a chat with me. It's been awesome. So my first question for you, this is the easy one. If people want to support you and support Prepare, where do they go? Oh, cool. That's real easy. Um, Prepare NZ. It's spelt a little differently. So P-R-E-P-A-I-R, like a pair or two people. Um, So Prepare NZ, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram as well. Um, You can also check out our website, which is just preparenz.com. Cool. And I'll put some links to that in the notes for the show as well, so everyone can find you. Cool. Next question Last one, I promise. Um, <laughs> do you have any advice or life lessons or interesting facts to leave us with tonight? <laughs> okay. Um, hmm. So many. Which you can one? go more than one if you want. <laughs> um, I think probably the one that stands out the most to me I've talked to a little bit already and that is you know take the time for you um take the time to figure out who you are and I think you might think you know already but still take the time to do that because I think the person that you are and will always evolve and it's so important to keep up with that because that's where you're going to find your energy. And if you can take the time to figure that stuff out, that's also where you're going to find a, a sense of purpose as well. Um, and we're all here looking for that, I believe. We're all here looking for purpose. Um, set yourself boundaries. You know, be really clear of who or, or what you're willing to let invade your space 
your space is yours. It, it belongs to you. And so don't be afraid to protect that um, because you're going to spend your entire lifetime with yourself. So look after that space. Um, keep a space that is just for you as well. Um, I know it probably just sounds like an awesome quote or something when it comes out of my mouth, but oh, believe me, I think it's game-changing. It's game-changing for you as a person. It's game-changing for you and your craft, your career, your relationships. Everything starts with you, and so you have to make the space for that. That's all. Thank you. Arigato gozaimasu. Thanks very much, everyone, for taking the time to listen to me and Irene today. I hope you got some value out of that conversation. I know that I did. Uh, as I said earlier, Irene is incredibly insightful and, and well-spoken, so it was a pleasure having a conversation with her, uh, and hopefully I get to, to do it again in the future. Now, I know last week I said that I was going to do a little bit of a reveal of some stuff that I was thinking about for the podcast for this year. Um, I haven't quite got that all tied together yet, so what I'm going to do is I'll let everyone know next week in next week's episode, uh, which is going to be a little bit of a special episode as well, so keep your ears peeled for that. Um and I'll give you a little bit of a heads up about some of the other stuff that, that is hopefully coming up with the podcast this year. Again, thanks so much for listening. Thanks as always to uh, my little brother, Jeremy Desmond, for the sweet, sweet uh, kind of uncomfortable music that we hear in the theme song. And thanks again for getting uncomfortable with me and Irene today. <laughs>